Notice this. Peter says, you crucified the Lord. You killed him. He's raised from the dead. And he, then he doesn't say, would you like to come forward and accept Jesus? He doesn't say, repeat this prayer. But the people there are so under conviction that they come to him and they say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. That times of refreshing may come. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 16. That's where we're going to start our study today. And I called this message, if you're taking notes, Paul's Secret Mission. Because this passage kind of starts out one way and ends completely different. And I think you'll see that as we go forward. But before we do that, why don't we commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here at Holland Gospel Chapel. It means a lot to be here in person. And so I just thank you for allowing that to happen. Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth today, that it would uh, give us messages of hope and encouragement and conviction where necessary. I pray the same for me as for the hearers. And I just pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we open up today's passage, uh, remember, last month we ended on a high note because we ended with the story of the conversion of Lydia, the seller of purple, and how she had given lodging and fellowship to Luke and to Paul and Silas. And now we're going to go to the second part of this chapter. And let's just read these first five verses. And this is, the first point is Paul casts out a demon. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much good by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and Silas and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. And this did they, and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, these men be, <coughs> saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, that um, it came to pass as we went to prayer. So prayer was a very important part of what these men would do. And this group included Luke and Timothy as well as Paul and Silas. 
But it says a certain uh, damsel, because that's where the spirit of divination met us. And it says that she brought her masters much gain by Tzusim. You know, a lot of times when we think of psychics in modern America, we think of uh, people that are shams, and they use things that they notice about us by keen observation to tell us what they, what they supposedly know about us and then convince us that they know our future. But there's also, I believe, in some people, a real spirit of the devil that allows them to know certain things uh, by the power of Satan. We know that Satan has power. Sometimes, because we rest in a greater power, which is God, we tend to minimize the, the power of Satan. The reality is that Satan is powerful and it says that she brought her masters much gain by her soothsaying. So this young lady was making these men rich. And she followed Paul and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show us the way of salvation. Now what is this remind you of. There were numerous times in the Gospels where Jesus was doing his ministry and a demon would say to Jesus about Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And in every case where that happened, Jesus turned to that devil, that demon, and said, don't speak in my name and come out of that person. Usually it was a man, interestingly enough. But he said, come out. The demons know who Jesus is, but he does not want to be testified of by them. And apparently... This young lady, every day, for a period of time, because this is a recurring thing, there's many days. And I remember from the early part of Acts, we know that 3 o'clock was kind of the Jewish time of prayer to go to the temple to pray. And so I kind of wonder if that was the situation in Philippi, or in this, in this town where they were. There weren't very many Jews, but still... Paul kept the habit. Remember Daniel? When they said don't pray to anybody but the king, he still went up to his upper room, opened the window, and prayed toward Jerusalem three times a day. He didn't give up his, his habit because it was inconvenient. And I think we can learn from this. That Paul was determined to do the right thing no matter how welcome it would be. So, we, we see that. And then, after she did this many days, Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out on the same hour. Now, I, I 
was studying about this, and it says that the words in Greek here for the same hour actually mean immediately. Because that, that is the power of God. You notice with all the miracles of God in the Gospels and in Acts, you don't see somebody getting better over the process of days. Now that may have been how King Hezekiah was healed in the Old Testament when he begged God for more time and then God said, well, go make a poultice of figs and lay it on him and he'll be healed and I'll give him 15 more years. There might have been a process of time. But when speaking of the New Testament miracles, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, immediacy is the key. And why is that? Because... The power of Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, was what did the healing, not Paul. This is important for us to remember because there was a time when Paul was praying for his friend Epaphroditus, dear friend in the Lord, and he was nigh unto death, and God delivered Epaphroditus at the final hour, and Paul gave praise. But Paul wasn't able to just go into the room with Epaphroditus and touch him and say, you're healed. Why? Because the healing was up to God, not up to Paul. And so this, this demon comes out of this girl and the masters of the girl, the slave owners of the girl, the ones that we had heard about that made much gain, they grabbed Paul and Silas. Interesting that they left Timothy and Luke alone, but Timothy and Luke um, are presumed to be Gentiles, Timothy being half Gentile, and Luke, um, many people believe being a full Gentile, were not snatched up. So I wonder what was going through their mind when this was going on. But they snatched up Paul and Silas, and they bring them into the marketplace, and they brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men being Jews do exceeding trouble in our city. So they're lying about Paul and Silas. Who does that remind you of? They, they lied about Jesus when he was on trial. Remember? He said, This man said that he would destroy the temple and after three days would rise it up again. What was Jesus talking about when he said that? He was talking about the temple of his body. They said that he spoke against Caesar, but he said himself, what? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. What a humbling thing to us to realize that Jesus himself believed that there was certain things to respect Caesar about. When we get frustrated about our political leadership, we need to realize that there are things that we need to respect our leaders about. But we also know that when they tell us to go against the word of God, we can say with Peter and John, we cannot do anything other than to continue to speak in this name and tell the things that we have seen and heard. So we need to have a balance there. And then... Of course, after the lie, the multitude 
rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And so we, we have this situation where this lie is being perpetrated and the violence against them comes as a result. And we'll get into that a little bit more in just a minute. Um, but before we do, can we look at 1 Timothy 6.10? 1 Timothy 6.10, by way of cross-reference. Because you notice that these men were focused on not the girl, but on the monetary gain that they lost. And so let's look at 1 Timothy 6.10 and see what God says about our proper response to, to money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money and wander from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. So it's important to note what it's saying here and what it's not saying here. It's not saying money is the root of all evil. It's saying the love of money is the root of all evil. As a matter of fact, this passage is Paul telling Timothy what to tell wealthy believers. And he never says in this passage, don't be wealthy. But what he does say is don't make your money your primary goal. The classic story of Christmas Carol shows the flaw in this because Ebenezer Scrooge is poor and happy and he gets engaged to Belle. And he tells her that he loves her and that he wants to marry her, but then the years pass. And he never marries her. Why? Because he doesn't think he ever will have enough money to take care of her. At least that's the original thought, was I want to have a little bit more money to be able to take care of you. But the problem is, enough money is always a little bit more. And because of his focus on his money, he lost her, and he lost relationships with any number of people that he could have had in the outside world because he allowed greed and money to take over his life. Can we also look at Colossians chapter 2, 14 and 15? Colossians chapter 2, 14 and 15. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Paul was able to cast out this demon because of one thing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in James that even the demons believe and tremble. Why did the demon have to leave when Paul said, In the name of Jesus Christ, come out? Because Christ triumphed over the devil. Christ triumphed over sin. 
Christ triumphed over the demons. And we no longer have to be afraid of them anymore. What a wonderful privilege it is to have that assurance. People have faith in faith and largely forget that our confidence is not in the power of faith, but in the person and work of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Some religious exercises are all about what we do. Did you go to Mass today? Did you say your prayers five times a day? But the reality is that true life-changing faith is simply faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are sharing the gospel with others, there are many other lessons that I'm sure we want to teach them someday. But we need to make sure that we boil it down to its simplest essence in the beginning. You'll see Paul do this later in the passage. That it's all about Jesus. Those other discussions that we have after that discussion are important too. But we need to start simply and say it's all about Jesus. And remember that when the Ethiopian eunuch went into the waters of baptism, it wasn't because he went through a four-week baptism class. It was because he believed and he saw water and he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe. And they went up and went into the water. And when they came out, the Ethiopian eunuch went his way rejoicing. And church tradition tells us there was a big revival because of his faith. He didn't, they didn't ask him you know there wasn't a discussion about election versus free will there wasn't a discussion about um, how many good works he'd done in his life simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and so and we see that these these people, they cared more about their monetary gain than this young lady. So now we move on to our next point. Paul and Silas praise God in prison. The thing that is most uh, exciting about the Apostle Paul is that wherever he is, he praises God. He doesn't just wait for the good things to happen. And when he wrote the letter to the Philippians, he said, and from a Roman cell, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I said, rejoice. Let's look at Acts 16, 22 to 28 now. 
And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received that charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast with stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Noticing a couple different things, the, the jailer is given charge of these men and is given a specific charge to keep them safely. So he he doesn't just leave them in an outer jail cell. He brings them to the inner uh, cells and he put them in stocks. I don't know if you've ever gone to a medieval village or seen a fort where there's stocks, but typically what stocks would be is there would be a place for your hands, straight out in front of you sometimes, and a place for your feet. And they'd be locked separately, so there's no way they could get loose. And you would think that at this time there would be prayers for deliverance. But it says that Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. Now, perhaps they prayed somewhat for deliverance, but you'll notice that they don't leap to be delivered as the passage goes on either. So I don't know exactly what their prayers were, but I've often heard it said that we need to, when we pray, we should start out by thanking God for who He is. Because we are most blessed to be in a relationship with him regardless of what is going on in our lives. And the prisoners heard them. I think this is significant too. Because they were bearing witness to the prisoners. And suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were loose. Even in an earthquake, the odds of this happening are probably infinitesimal. But this was a supernatural activity. And of course, the keeper of the prison has been given this charge saying, don't lose these people. Keep them by you. You are responsible for them. If you, and he knew that if he lost any prisoners, the penalty would be torture and death. So that's why his reaction is to kill himself. But Paul cries with a loud voice, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I read something interesting. It said, Circumstances dictated that they escape because God had provided a way for them to escape. But love compelled them to stay because God had a mission for them. 
And it's inter- it's an interesting contrast to the story of Peter that we dealt with a while back, because in Peter's case, an angel came and said, come with me, leave the prison. In this case, you could argue that God provides a way of escape, but he also gives Paul the opportunity to express love. And that's what Paul decides to do. And he says, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Don't you find it interesting that none of the unregenerate prisoners left? None of them tried to leave because by supernatural force, they were compelled to stay in their cell. It says that Paul spoke with a strong voice even though he had been beaten, even though he had been mistreated, he spoke with a strong voice. To me, that tells me of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the only way that that could successfully happen. And then, of course, Philippian jailer, he has no hope. So he's going to kill himself. But Paul stays his hand. Now, from a human perspective, you could say, well, if the jailer dies, then we really have a free-for-all going on here. So why not just allow that to happen? But Paul saw the jailer as a person in need of Jesus. So we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. On this, this idea of giving thanks Lord and praising God. Um, first of all, 5, verse 16 to 18. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, it can be easy to say, well, I don't have to thank God for this in my life because it's not very good. Matter of fact, it downright stinks. Paul knew how to go through stinky circumstances in life. He had a whole list beaten many times, left for dead, stoned, um, mistreated in so many ways, whipped. You know, this passage says that he was whipped many times. We don't know how many times that was. We just see the word many. And yet he's saying, in all your circumstances, give thanks to God. So it doesn't say at midnight, Paul and Silas complained to God. It says that they prayed and they praised God. And they sang. What a wonderful testimony that is to us. John Wesley was about 21 years of age when he went to Oxford University. He came from a Christian home and he was gifted with a keen mind and good looks. Yet in those days, he was a bit snobbish and sarcastic. One day, however, something happened that set in motion a change in Wesley's heart. While speaking with a porter, he discovered the poor fellow had only one coat and lived in such impoverished conditions that he didn't even have a bed. Yet he was unusually an unusually happy person, filled with gratitude to God. Wesley, being immature, felt thoughtlessly joked about the man's misfortune. And what else do you think, thank God for? He said with a touch of sarcasm. The porter smiled and in the spirit of meekness replied, I thank him that he has given me my life and being. 
a heart to love him, and above all, a consistent desire to serve him. Deeply moved, Wesley recognized that this man knew the meaning of true thankfulness. Many years later, in 1791, John Wesley lay on his deathbed at the age of 88. Those who gathered around him realized how well he had learned the lesson of praising God in every circumstances. Despite Wesley's extreme weakness, he began singing the hymn, I'll praise the, my maker while I have breath. And that is from our daily bread. So, the final section of our passage today, Acts 16, 29-34, Paul and Silas praising God leads to a plea for salvation. Remember I said at the beginning of the message that Paul and Silas were on a secret mission. Now that mission is going to unfold. Says, speaking of the jailer, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in this house. And he took in the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and, his, he and all his, straight away. And when he brought him into his house, he set a meal before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So this praising God led to a change in the entire household of the Philippian jail. And they were changed from the inside out. What a wonderful testimony that is. I was reading a commentator and he said, some people say that this declaration by Paul is too simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. It tells the story of a, of a chaplain training other chaplains for the military. He said one of his tests for a good chaplain is that if you're out on the battlefield and the person that you are witnessing to only has three minutes to live, how are you going to share Christ with them? The commentator goes on to say Paul would have qualified because he kept his message short, sweet, and to the point. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Is there more to learn? There is. As a matter of fact, after this happened, it says that they taught them more about the Lord. But the essential thing, the needful thing, was for this trembling scared jailer to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that he could have peace in his soul. And he brought them into his house and he set me before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. He was still a jailer. 
He still had to explain to his bosses how all the, the jail cells got open. Perhaps had to explain to his bosses why he pulled Paul out of jail and gave him food. But he had the peace of knowing that he knew the Lord Jesus. Whatever you are going through today, if you have the Lord Jesus, you can have peace through it all. You know, as I think about what our country has been through the last couple of years with COVID, I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, one of the things I noticed is that a lot of people that are extremely panicked about this virus are people that are only living for this life. They don't know what eternity will hold, so they're scared to death, literally to death, that their life will end too quickly because this life is all they know. But the Bible tells us that if we lose our life for his sake, we will find it. And it also tells me that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So that no matter what happens to me, when I leave this building, I will be safe in the arms of Jesus. And that is a wonderful truth that I am so thankful for. I wonder if we could look at, by way of cross-reference, Acts 2.36 and 37. Acts 2, 36 and 37. I want you to notice something here. Um, because it's kind of a modern thing for us to when we're witnessing the people, when we're sharing Christ, to offer them the sinner's prayer. I want to be very careful when I say this because I believe that some people have been saved through the sinner's prayer. But I also, in general, when I speak, do not offer it or give an invitation. Not just because it's not something we do in the Brethren Church, but also because I think it's important for the gospel to speak for itself. And if the gospel changes someone, it will compel people to ask what the next step is to desire it enough to ask for help. That's what this passage shows in Acts 2. So if we could read these verses, that would be great. If somebody has them. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom we have crucified, O Lord of Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter, Notice this. Peter says, You crucified the Lord. You killed him. He's raised from the dead. And he, then he doesn't say, Would you like to come forward and accept Jesus? He doesn't say, Repeat this prayer. But the people there are so under conviction 
that they come to him and they say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. That times of refreshing may come. My job as a preacher of the gospel is to share the message. God's job is to take care of the increase. Now I will say to you that if you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk to you about it. I'm not going to assume that just because you're sitting here in church that you know. Because you can lie to me. You can lie to people around you, but you can't lie to the Lord Jesus. The disciples knew all about that. Peter was one of the biggest breakers among the disciples, and yet when he got around Jesus, what was his response? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Because he knew that he couldn't put his best foot forward with Jesus, because Jesus looked right into his heart. And thankfully for Peter, Jesus said to him, Fear not. Fear not, Peter. For today, you will catch men. Fear not is a wonderful phrase. I've heard that it is repeated in the scriptures 365 times, enough for a daily calendar. And what a wonderful privilege it is that we serve a God who saw our ruined state and came in the fullness of time and was born of a woman to redeem those of us, which is all of us, who are under the law. So that we are no longer slaves to the law because we can't fully... conform to the law. We're not capable of fully following the law. Even the people that thought they were following the law, Jesus said, your hearts are far from me. You're missing the point. So we're not capable of fully following the law. But Jesus is our righteousness. And he makes us able to stand righteous before God. Jesus said this wonderful promise to us. He said, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Isn't it wonderful that he didn't say, You might be free? He said, You will be free indeed. Free exclamation I hope and trust that you have experienced this freedom yourself today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the simple faith of the Philippian jailer and 
how exciting it's going to be to get to heaven and meet all these Bible characters and see how God worked in their life to bring them to himself. Lord, help us to be thankful and grateful for what you have given and to realize the truth that Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But he also says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, given the choice between nothing and all things, I choose all things. And that is my prayer for everyone in this room as well. And now, Lord, I pray that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace as we depart. In Jesus' name.